Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is Mr. Detravious Bethia. How are you, sir? Not bad, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Glad to finally get you on on my side now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we were just talking before the camera started rolling for you to do mines. You did mines years ago. Now, yeah, well, we gonna get this like two years, wasn't it? Three? Wow. Yeah, because no, I started doing COVID. Two, I started doing COVID. So, yeah, yeah. about three years because that was when I was at my other job, and um, it'd be two years in July that I'm at my current place. Got you. Cool. So, for people who don't know you, give us a little background about you, where you're from, and how we uh, how we met. So, for people that don't know me, New Jersey, born and raised, Pisces. <laughs> I think I'm Gen X. Gen X. Um, I'm an attorney by trade, by day. I a previous job that I had, I, I also am an adjunct professor. I haven't done that in a couple of years. I need to get back on that. I started my legal career out doing prisoners' rights work. Now I am doing uh, small business small business development, which is can include. Um, contract review, we do consulting, we do the legal work. Uh, we also help people get uh, contracts. So I try to, you know, niche. I've been on my own officially. I got a, somebody asked me this recently, officially without taking anyone else's work for I think about four years now, nice. not five. But I got I got to get my exact date because people ask me all the time, like, how long you've been, been on by yourself? So I opened the firm a while ago, but I was taking other people's work. But since I... I think it's four years now, four years that I haven't had to take any outside work from anybody else nice. to pay the bills. Yeah. You lived in Livingston and then moved down to Heights County Square. No. Oh, so we, you just, you told me that I didn't do the, <laughs> I didn't do the lawyer thing, right? You, I didn't answer the question. You told me how we met. So I met Michael Bolton in the eighth grade when I moved to East Windsor. I think he actually was one of the first people that I met. At least one of the first 50 people, right? I mean, that's which sounds like a huge number, but when you're going to school with thousands of people, right, or over a thousand people, that's significant, right? Just um, in the area where we lived in, there was a ton of kids. So, ton of kids, yeah. So, I believe you were one of the one of the first people that I met, at least top 50, right? I'm just gonna go with that. Um, I moved from Trenton, New Jersey. I was in Trenton for a year, but I'm originally from Patterson, New Jersey. So, I spent my early childhood from. Uh, birth to 12 between Patterson. I split between Patterson and Newark. So I was uh, officially in Patterson, but my mother moved to Newark. So I used to spend the weekends and holidays and all the free time I had off in school in Newark. Then I moved to Trenton for a year. That didn't last. Thank God. <laughs> and then I moved to East Windsor and that's how I met you. What was uh, your environment like in bouncing around like that? Oh, let, me, let me rephrase that question. What yeah. kind of if any profound impact did that kind of movement around at that age have on you? Yeah. In real time, I hated it. Um, so I went to five K through eight schools. Wow. Um, and in real time, I hated it because I was always the new kid, right? I was a new kid five times over, well, four times over because the first kindergarten, everybody's a new kid. So I was a new kid four times over and I was leaving behind my friends and, and we were moving a lot. So I moved, maybe six times from K through eight. That's a 
if not more. We <laughs> um, did a lot of moving in three different cities, four four different cities, KDWA actually, uh, Newark, Trenton, Patterson, East Windsor. Um, so in, in real time, I hated it. But um, as I reflect back, I think what I take from it is just like the, the ability to adapt to my environment. And, and so I, I tell people I'm a extroverted introvert. <laughs> it made me like, cause I had to go out and make friends over and over again. Like, cause if I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to sit in the house and not really do anything. But because I've been doing like being an extro- extrovert. So for so many years, I'm probably like extrovert. Um, uh, my, my, my nature is introvert, but I'm an extrovert because I just forced myself to do it for many years. So maybe that's my nature now, but my birth nature, right. Is just to be an introvert. So I think those are the things that just to, to be in contact with, so many different different types of people, right? So from K through seven, I was primarily in black and Hispanic schools, right? And then when I moved to East Windsor, it's primarily white. And you have to adjust. You're dealing with, you know, class issues. We talked about that before we got in. Even within East Windsor, you're dealing with a class issue, right? I mean, nobody, it's unspoken, but it's there. You know, sounding black, acting white, all those type of things come into play. And I thank God that I had to deal with that early on versus like you going into the world in the workplace or going to college and you then you're dealing with all those type of baggage. And I don't know what's going on right now with kids, but I can't imagine like, I mean, I, I guess I will get through it, but you know, it happens all, all the time, but I think I, I do have an advantage because of that. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely, and this goes without saying, it's, it's a completely different world looking at what my kids deal with as to what we dealt with at their age. And in some ways, I think we kind of had it better off in that we didn't have as much information available to, to kind of influence where we thought, which uh, is a double-edged sword. It's nice to have all that sword. information accessible, yeah. but, you know, without putting things into context and, and utilizing that information the right way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a bad thing. And yeah. That's the misinformation part, right? That's the whole big deal with the misinformation. I'm not sure. I'm not sure yeah. I would classify that as misinformation. It's, it, there's one thing of understanding information uh-huh. and having it in the right context, which uh-huh. as a kid you really can't do, and you know, kind of you got to be guided to it. It's got to be framed the right way for you to really understand gotcha. things in frame. But misinformation is just another big problem that we don't have to deal with as much. I mean, uh-huh. over the last six eight years, it's just been absurd the amount of misinformation yeah. and disinformation that's put out there. Yeah. Um, I think kids have it easier in some ways, and but you know, every, every generation's got their, their good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you go after high school? So high school, I ended up going to um, the art Institute of Philadelphia, where I was, which was a, which was a trade school is no longer in business. <laughs> uh, it was a trade for profit school, but uh, the art Institute still exists. I did that and I studied video. I don't know if you remember, I was like a RAN report and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Like, thank God for Mr. Rose. And <laughs> we had a studio in our school, right? I never seen that before <laughs> until I went to East Windsor. Um, we had a, a, a studio in our school. So he basically, I did that for two years in high school. And then I continued it on when I went to, uh, when I graduated. And I, I worked in a, the TV business directly. Um, for like, uh, so I graduated art student at like 99, I believe. So I did it for two years. 
And then, um, so I, the last job I had in the business was Nickelodeon. And then what I saw at Nickelodeon actually drove me to pursue a law degree. Can I inquire as to what you saw at Nickelodeon? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I don't know how much time we got. No, we, got, um, we got all the time in the world, man. So I'm going to give you the medium version. <laughs> so it was, uh, so before, before going back to high school, before that, there was this magazine called Vibe. I don't know. I don't think it exists anymore. Um, and it was this article about Sean Puffy Combs in there. I don't know what he's going. I think he's going by Love now, P. Diddy. And the article was like um, he had just signed a deal with um, Clive Davis, who was the owner of Arista, then at J Records. And the deal was uh, they gave him a, a million dollars for his bad boy entertainment, right? So that's, you know, Biggie and all that type of stuff, right? And in an article was saying they gave him a million dollars. So I was always thinking like, all right, so if somebody gives you a million dollars, they're going to make 10 million off you. So I did my research and found, I was like, so this is back in the day when you had to go to the library and they had like the indexing and <laughs> before the internet, you had, this is the, this is the old school folks. Dewey Decimal had to go System. The Dewey Decimal System. So I did some, I inquired to figure out who was Clive Davis and I found out he was an attorney. So that's the first like seed that planted the, you know, that, law could be a possible outcome because no, I'm the first college graduate in my family. So I didn't see any of this fast forward. When I was, uh, got into my last job was a uh, Nickelodeon and we were, I was working on what's called the credit crunch team, credit crunch team. So it sounds crazy now because it's normal, but it was innovative at this time. So, you know, when they show the credits and they show what's coming up next, remember that there wasn't a time when you saw what was coming up next. You just had to, wait until that show went off. Right. And then the next show it was commercial. Then the next show, two commercials, whatever. Then the next show came on. So we, it was very innovative at the time. So it was showing up with next and then the credits was rolling while it was coming up next. So I worked on that team that put that whole, those whole transitions together. And I was reading. Um, so every Monday, so what you see on network television, if it's not live, it's actually been scheduled a week before, if not more. So we were always a week ahead of, scheduling right so what you see on um what you see today was put into the system last week right all right so um so we had to do everything in a week so every week we had to print out the credits just to make sure that this sounds so crazy and so old and archaic right <laughs> we had to literally print out the credits on this machine and we had to watch the the end of the credits to make sure that they they were right they were correct not correct as in the names but um, correct correct that just making sure there's no no uh jump cuts or anything like that because Nickelodeon is network so all the shows are come from other production companies and we air them so we used to print out the credits and then one day this is a mindless job we did that every Monday it was mindless part of the routine we got through that every Monday one day for whatever reason I decided to read the credits right and it was I was I was specifically remember that it was Keenan and Kel for all the people showing the age, Keenan and Kel show. And at the end, it said Keenan and Kel is a product of Viacom slash MTV networks. And I was like, damn, like who was the attorney that let them sign that deal? So that means that they can't do anything that says Keenan and Kel presents without getting uh, rights from Viacom MTV networks. So I was asking around and like I said, this was a network. So people don't know the production companies, but people that were like, yeah, I'm saw saying, is that their name? And it was like, for all we know, yes, that's their legal name. And I was just like, damn. And I remember uh, years before, 
and I don't know what article this was. It was Eddie Murphy was, uh, it was an Eddie Murphy interview. And he was saying like how he signed the rights to his name to his, uh, I think it was his manager mm-hmm. and how he fought years to get his name back to do like to actually have that's intellectual property. So we do that with the firm, the intellectual property to his name. I was just like, damn. And I was like, you know what? I was look, I was, uh, just the demenial version is a much longer version. So, um, I was looking around and I was just like, man, like, I can either go hard with this. So this is in 2000. I can either go hard with this because uh, I was really into the, the creative arts and creating. And I was like, I either go hard with this and like, hopefully people see the, my value and my art and all that type of stuff and, and, and put me into play to become like the producer or whatever. And I was like, or I could take the legal route and be like the person that has to review these contracts and maybe finagle my way through the back door to the legal to become an executive. And here I am today, man. <laughs> it, it, that seems to be a recurring theme that you hear a lot. Like the, and I think it's one of those things that gives attorneys a bad name. There are so many people in the entertainment industry, whether we're talking music or acting or otherwise, that you hear all these horror stories about how they got you know, royally screwed over because they really didn't know what they yeah. were signing and what yeah. they were getting into. And, yeah. you know, they, they effectively got robbed out of, you know, Millions yeah. of dollars in some cases. Yeah. So I'm going to give you my, my little, uh, my fine print. Read the fine print, right? So we talked about, that's that's the name of my podcast. So the part of the fine print, there's good and bad, good, bad attorneys everywhere from every law school right. in every country, right? So it's just like any other profession, right? One thing that people fail to realize or take into account is that every attorney works for somebody, right? So if you get in a screw it's because the person on the other side wants you to be screwed. Right. Right. Like, so, so that's part of it. And if, it, if you're getting screwed, another part of it can be is that if you're getting screwed, your attorney didn't do their job. Right. Right. And then the, a third part about it, the, the, the biggest part about it is everybody hates paying the terms. Right. So it's like, you don't necessarily, I always tell people it's, it's cheaper to buy me, to, to hire me on the front end than on the back end. And right. So just giving you an example of a, a when I used to take entertainment clients, I don't take them anymore because I, I feel like a lot of them want to be famous and they don't necessarily want to make money. So that's that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> that we can have, but you gotta think like people want to be famous and then once the money comes into play, it's like, oh my lawyer screwed me or he didn't do this. But like, yo, bro, sis, you didn't I sat you down and you didn't wanna go around in the right business where you wanted to be famous, right? Right. So just to give you an example, I had a, a music client and they came to me and they, they were ready to sign this deal with a, a well-known producer. And, you know, the contract said something up top. So whether it would just say, for example, it says like a shopping deal, right? Which means that, that you sign a deal and you, they get to shop you around to different labels. So, but the contract read like a production deal. So I'm, I'm telling this, telling my client like, Ignore what's what's on the top because you can put whatever you want on the top. The the devil's in the details. The read the fine print. What's what they are actually signing you to is a production deal, right? So this person like, no, no, this is they told me this is. I was like, I was like, okay. So I took them. I took them at a discount, which I rarely do nowadays anyway, right? Because it was actually a favor for somebody that I knew from back in the day. They used to manage the person, but they no longer manage them. And, you know, I gave them a st- extremely discount. I would never do this ever again. I ain't going to say ever. 
right? It was deeply discounted, right? The person, when they came to me, they were ready to sign this contract. They said, all I wanted you to do was just look it over to make sure it's cool for me to sign, which is, that's always, it's never going to be cool for you to sign. Right. <laughs> There's always going to be something you can find. Exactly. So this person was ready to sign it, right? So we were going back and forth, back and forth. It took way longer than it should have should have should have took to get done. I gave one of the, the, uh, the bill. It complained about the bill. But I'm like, so I had to break it down to, I said, Break it down to this person. I said, "Listen, you were ready to sign this deal when you get you came when you came to me, and I took this one line out of this deal. I said, if you were to blow up, if you were to become popular, that one line I took out of your contract is potentially worth millions of dollars. And you was ready to sign the contract, right? I said, and you're complaining about fifteen hundred dollars, whatever I charge, and that so and it's like so those type of things is like." I don't know, man. I think I think a lot of artists are so pressed to be a part of the system that right. they will sign horrible deals, regardless of yeah. the attorney's advice. I mean, on on a similar vein to that, there's just this this thought process that I don't think people understand, or a lot of people don't seem to understand. Your time is money. Your exactly. knowledge is money. Is money exactly? So it, it's it's really fucked up when people come up to you, yo, can you just, you know, look at this real quick? You know, let me know what your thoughts are. It's one thing if you have that kind of relationship, it's another, if they're kind of taking yeah. advantage of your expertise and, yeah. you know, out of curse. Yeah. I can look at it real quick. Yeah. It kind of looks okay, but you know, I wouldn't go that route. I can look at it, but it's going to, you know, we'll have to sit down and, and talk. Yeah. The, the, the push to kind of take advantage of people. And, and it's not to say that you won't give that person the time of day for free, so to speak. But there's mm-hmm. this assumption that just because we're friends, you owe it to me. And exactly. And that, that's you not hitting how that on should... the nail, man. You sound like an entrepreneur <laughs> out here, man. It's that, that's not how that's supposed to work. It's supposed to be, nah. Hey, I'm, I got this problem. I know you deal with this, you know, when can we sit down and talk and, and kind of go from mm. there? But just to have that immediate expectation that just because you're friends with somebody and they know something that you don't, that they're just going to kind of give you that. And it works even more worse when it's, you're not friends and yeah. you know, you have people and I worked for an IT company and you know, people will come in clients say, yeah, I want to do this. So we put together this whole presentation and then they argue about, you know, the plan that we wanted to implement as if they knew more about systems and networks than, than we did. You, you hired mm-hmm. us to do a job. This yeah. is what we're offering. This is what we're suggesting. We've got the expertise for it. Otherwise you want to come to us. You know, yeah. and then you complain about how much it costs. You know, there's yeah. there's a reason why you guys have retainers. There's a reason why, you know, people ask for fifty percent down for for things, and usually yeah. that covers all the time that goes into putting yeah. that together before you really get into, you know, the nuts and bolts of things. Yeah, so I'm glad other people, other professions are dealing with that problem, which I knew. Uh, this is this is uh, I read this story, or it might be just a, a parable, right? I think that's the word I want to use about this plumber, right? So the person called, so somebody, you know, the the toilet was was, uh, stopped and uh, they they had a a plumbing issue, right? So they called the plumber and the plumber came in and he went out, you know, so the plumbers don't come out for free. That's one thing, right? (laughs) The plumbers don't come out for free. You got to pay them something. So the plumber come in, so the person was spending days and days trying to figure it out what's the problem, couldn't figure it out, drain, all that type of stuff. So finally calls the plumber, the plumber calls, charges them, let's just say, $500. $500. The, the plumber comes out, he looks out, he was like, oh, I see the problem. 
he bangs on the pipe, and then everything comes down and starts flowing. So the uh, the the, cl- the client was like, "Oh, this is bullshit! You come out here." So the plumber was there for ten minutes. You come out here and you charge me ten ten uh five hundred dollars for ten uh, minutes. This is bullshit. I need a itemized bill. So he wrote the itemized bill. He said, "Knocking on the pipe, ten dollars. Knowing where to knock on the pipe, four hundred and ninety dollars." But that just goes like you know that knowledge, like your knowledge is worth is worth something, man. Yeah. And it, you know, just to have people just take that and, and anticipate you conveying it for free for the for their benefit is, you know, I don't know. There, there's there's lots of problems I have with society nowadays. But yeah, yeah, yeah. so your your first legal job was prisoner rights work. What, what kind of stuff yeah? Did you do? So my first first uh, I guess uh. Yeah, my first legal job, I did it for, I guess, even going back to when I was a law clerk in law school, I did it for from 2006 to, I didn't graduate to 2008, and I didn't become a, get barred into 2009 because they take time to, you know, take your test and get you in to swear in. Um, so from 2006 to, to about 2011, so for five years, I did prisoners' rights work for the D.C. Public Defender Service, and I was what, I was in this division called the Community Defender Division, which we handle re-entry work, we handle uh, parole hearings, we handle, like, so in D.C., if you get in trouble within a jail, you have a right to an attorney because they can it can be referred to um, outside for, for I mean, I guess anything you do in jail can be referred outside for prosecution, for prosecution by the state. Well, D.C. is not a state. So they had rights to an attorney. So we used to go in and defend them when they got into fights and all types of stuff. So yeah, prison, they rights works. Fights while they were in prison, or so, just fights in general. Just fights in in, in DC jail specifically. Okay, because uh, DC, um, just so for background, DC, not a state for yep. those that don't know. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So DC is not a state. So DC, the reason why our division, so there's the traditional public defenders that everybody hate, say they don't do a lot of work, but it's, like I said, it's good or bad attorneys everywhere. But then there's the also like the D.C. Public Defender, which was funded by the federal government. And because D.C. prosecutors are funded by the federal government, it's some, it's some law that they that we had to have the same resources that they had. So that's why our whole even division, even our whole organization even existed. Right. And going with the uh, so D.C. has a jail. So we we were we were allowed to go into the D.C. jail specifically to defend them against if they had anything in jail, like any uh, disciplinary hearings. And then like, so DC, so they had a jail, but DC doesn't have a prison. They used to have a prison called Lorton prison, which was in Virginia. They shut it down with some revitalization that they took the property and they, I think it's like balls and condos over there now. Um, So DC felons are serving time in federal penitentiaries. So like you have a DC inmate doing DC time, under the guise of the federal bureau of the federal bureau of prisons. So because, like, off because with, they're not their own state. If they had the state, it would be a, a state thing. Is it, it would be, they would be local. So if there's in the law, they have to be within, try to keep them within 500 miles of DC, which is if anybody knows mileage, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so they try to keep them within 500 miles, but they can literally be anywhere no, in the U S New York. 
They could be anywhere, anywhere in the U.S. where there's a federal uh, prison. They could be there. So when I started doing the parole hearings, I was flying out. I flew to Florida, do a parole hearing. I flew to um, Missouri, Missouri, <laughs> however could these people pronounce it. Uh, we went to West Virginia, drove there, went to West Virginia, PA, drove there. But, yeah, yeah I, so you could be literally anywhere. But it, it's if somebody, I'm not going to give out the cheat code, but if, if somebody is in a specific prison, I kind of know what they did. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. That's inside information, though. Like, so if I see somebody that's in the in, in a certain prison at a certain time, I know I kind of figure out. At least when I was charged, I could figure out. Yeah, yeah. What did you do after the the prisoner rights stuff? Did that, is that when you started getting into the business stuff, or yeah? So I graduated. For those that don't know or don't remember, I graduated in the middle of the financial crisis, which was two thousand eight. So. Everything hit the shit hit the fan. People were, were getting their offers rescinded that was going to big firms and we was all trying to figure it out. I did that and then um I started working for um I was doing contract work. So I was doing what's called like doc review and then I was actually working on people cases that would bring me in to help them with their cases or whatever, right? So I'll write their their briefs or whatever it was. So I did that for a couple years. But I oh I officially opened my law firm in two thousand twelve. And the reason why I did it is because when I wanted to bet on myself, right? And I realized that you might have realized this too. A lot of these people are not smart, man. There's a lot of uh, a lot of curbside lawyers I dealt with. Yeah. A lot of people are cops. A lot of people. A lot of these people are not smart, including like I'm the lawyers. Like, and not to say that not everyone. I'm not gonna say they're not smart. They're not good lawyers, right? And they're not, and they're not good business people. So, like, so for example, right, there is the law, the practice of law, which is once you get into the the groove and you've been doing it for a couple of years, it's not really that hard to practice law if you know what you're doing. Going back to the expert, like you do the same thing over and over, you know, you know the wording you're looking for, you know your shortcuts, you know your shortcuts. That goes back to the plumber story. Exactly, you know the shortcuts. Shortcuts. The experience gives you the shortcuts, but what? What most attorneys, at least small small firms, I'm going to even say medium sized firms. I'm going to say a lot. Most firms they don't they aren't necessarily great at the business aspect of the law, right? So, for example, you have a you know New York a New York firm, a big New York firm. They're still running on the billable hour in 2013 for the most part. They're still like beholden to massive corporations, so Microsoft. So Microsoft they're going to spend they say $100 million a year on legal, right? They are still beholden to Microsoft to be in business, right? Like Microsoft is the, the quote-unquote anchor client, right? right. So, uh, but if Microsoft be like, we're not taking our business, any, we're not taking our business, we're taking our business someplace else across the street, then your law firm is shit out of luck. They're doing massive layoffs, right? Um, because they never adjusted to the world without AI, for the lack of a better word, AI. They didn't leverage technology like that. For, like as they as they should because we all got internet access now. Right. But yeah, they're not they're not that great at if you go to any any large firm website, it all looks the same. <laughs> um, they all got the suits on and the in the the background. And they all look the same. They all speak like with a certain way. I guess is what they think lawyers are supposed to be, which in a, in a way is our fault, but it's also the public's fault. But it's it's really there's a lack of innovation in a legal field. 
And I felt I felt as though, and I still feel that, you know, that's where I come in and and my expertise and my innovation per se. So for example, your background, I said, yeah, my, I set my law firm up from day one to be, to be virtual one day. Right. And then guess what happened? COVID. <laughs> COVID happened. So I was already set up to be primarily vocal, uh, virtual where people still wanted to come in. People were still like, um, they weren't, I wasn't using a whole bunch of zoom and all that. Cause that wasn't really a thing like that until COVID. But once COVID happened, I was already set up, ready to go. Right. To to uh to thrive and doing. I mean, it was rough. I ain't gonna lie to you, right? It was rough because everybody was trying to figure it out. Nobody was working and everything. But I was already set up. You were ahead of the game. Yeah. You didn't have to put in to plan or or, or obtain certain things like cameras and things like that, and yeah, some of the documentation services that you used because you already had it when all the everybody else was scrambling for it. Yep. Yep. So so I, I tried. I try to be you know, uh, forward thinking. And I mean, that's with anything. So whatever, whatever I'm going to do, I'm trying to be the eye. So what's going to be, you know, what's coming down five years from now. And I'm, I could, I'm, you know, sometimes wrong, but a lot of times I write because people, everybody gets comfortable, man. Comfortability creates complacency and complacency creates errors. Yeah. You're going to have to share that with me, man. <laughs> when we get off the phone, <laughs> I'm going to use that. I'm going to put it on social media. You know, I'm going to steal it from you. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I, I I see that with a lot of places, you know, there's, like you said, there, there's a lot of pro- people that are bad at their profession that are successful and it makes you scratch your head. Yeah. The idea of not being forward thinking, you know, that, that like you were just talking about the, the attorneys have this certain way of talking, a certain way of being and a certain way of acting and, and looking. And I think TV has done a lot of bad for law for law enforcement, for, for yeah. doctors, you know, that, and that's, that's kind of where I dealt with both sides of it. I dealt with the, you know, the people that I was interacting with as a police officer would try to, you know, act as an attorney as if they knew what the law was, you know, put handcuffs on them because there's a fight. We separate them and then we take the handcuffs on them and let them go. And they're like, well, well you didn't read my, my, you didn't read my Miranda rights. Well, I don't have yeah. to, <laughs> you know, that, I know what I need to write and read them. I, yeah. you, just because you see it on TV, every time they put cuffs on somebody, yeah. you got to read the Miranda. That, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. the case. Um, not the case. Yeah. You know, arguing about what we can and can't do. And it, we deal with that on the street and then we go to court to talk it out. And there are some attorneys that they have their shit together and, you know, they are on point. And then there are other ones that, you know, are talking out of their ass and, just yeah. don't have their don't have together as well. Yeah, which is frustrating. Yeah, let me ask you this though, because uh, this is a great conversation. So, from a police officer's side, like you, you spoke about a little bit, just running to people. When 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 did you stop being a cop? When did, when was... my last time I had a uniform on was coming up. Uh, it'll be exactly seven years. Seven on March fourth. So can you tell the people, I don't know if you told them about this on on your platform or not, but tell the people like, because, um, you know, uh, police officers, they get a bad name too. Like some of the stress that you that you deal with day to day. So I may have touched on it once or twice and things, and I know there's been a few of my thoughts on law enforcement. Um, the problem I have with the narrative these days over the last six years or so is most of the people who are ranting about police – have no clue or concept of what the job really entails 
mm-hmm. or what it's like to really deal with people. They're used to dealing with people who do what they tell them to do, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's because they're charismatic or they did something that gave them some sense of authority. I think there's a lot that could be changed. I think there's a lot of reforms that could be done for law enforcement. But as I've said recently a few times on shows, New Jersey, I think, has the best trained officers in the country. Hands down. Oh, for real? Really? I, yeah. I, I firmly believe that. Um, you know, when I look out and kind of see see how some things have gone down in other states, mm-hmm. we don't have that really happening in Jersey mm-hmm. on the frequency that you see in California and you know elsewhere. Um, yeah. I think there's definitely some improvements. It's one of the reasons why I ran for state assembly is to try and get them to make some of these changes. Um, one big one is, you know, with cops in New Jersey at the training, police training commission authorizes or, or says you have to have spent X amount of time uh, on defensive tactics, but they kind okay. of loosely leave up what those defensive tactics are. I think at the time when I went through up to recently, like you have to do a 30 minute or 30 second round in boxing but that's not mm-hmm. really defensive tactics that's putting two people in a you know ring so to speak and letting <laughs> them pummel the shit out of each other there's nothing productive that comes out of that each academy kind of takes upon their own defensive tactics idea and philosophy and, and gives that to the makes that part of their curriculum i know some academies at one point were doing uh, krav maga which is that? Uh, the israeli martial art which okay. effectively is do as much damage as possible, as quick as possible to end the threat. To me, that's completely counter to law enforcement. Gotcha. I'm, I've always been a proponent for as long as I was a cop, for when I was teaching at the police academy, for officers to get into Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a okay. number of reasons. One of which is it's more about compliance holds. It's more about joint locks. It's more about gaining control of somebody without using a lot of physical force and without causing injury. So to me, that plays right into the philosophy of what law enforcement should be when it needs to get physical. You know, to kind of jump back for a second, people don't know what the use of force continuum is, but they speak as if they know. You know, the use of force continuum, yes, it's a stepping ladder, set of stairs going up, but some kids like to go from the first step to the fifth step. Mm Mm-hmm. People don't realize that that can be a legal way to navigate the continuum if the situation calls for it. You don't have to hit every single step. You can go mm-hmm. to where the escalation goes. And again, that, that's where the advent of, not the advent, but the, the more prevalence of, law, of cell phones and, and cameras in the public. Cops nowadays know that there's a camera everywhere around which mm-hmm. still boggles my fucking mind how some of these cops do the stupid shit that they do. Stupid things, yeah, yeah. But I'm also the type of person, I you know, kind of get more to your, your point, I'm not going to judge an officer based on the little clips that I see uh, when the incident first happens because my, my belief is a lot of that's slanted depending upon, where, depending upon where the news source is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about police brutality a lot. The, the numbers that I've seen don't fit the narrative. And then you have the narrative being, you know, it's bad. And, and I'm not saying that long, that police brutality is not a bad thing. It's not something that should ever be in existence, but we're humans and some people hit the breaking point and they lose control of their faculties and bad shit happens. With that being said, 
when you, they talk about police brutality and they talk about officer killing uh, specifically black males, unarmed black men, they tend to bring in the Trevon Martin incident and they bring in uh, one specific one from New Orleans, uh, Sterling Alton or Alton Sterling. And they can't see the objective facts to that particular case to where, you know, I watched a video. It's, it's like a four or five minute long video and unfortunately ends in the gentleman's death. But you can see the cops that literally, literally did everything within their power, everything they were trained to do and slowly escalated up the use of force continuum till you know, literally the guy had his gun in the guy into the guy's chest and said, if you don't stop moving, I will shoot you. And I think he said it two, maybe three times. And the guy kept on trying to go into his pocket. And as soon as the cop shot him, he stopped moving. He reached in the pocket and he had a revolver in his pocket. Wow. And that's the situation that doesn't fit the narrative. What case is that? Well, send it to me. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's Sterling Alton or Alton Sterling. I'll, I'll send you the name later. Okay. Okay. Um, but it was one, it's one of the ones that, it, it, to me, it takes away from the intelligent dialect of the problem. Problem is police mm-hmm. brutality. Is it a problem? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But in order for, for me, in order to have a, an intelligent discussion and, and work to a solution, we need to understand what is factual and, and what is what's not factual. And to, to lump that one in or you know, the Trevon Martin thing, which had nothing to do with law enforcement well, at all. It had yeah. to do with just yeah. some asshole who had, you know, a, an ego problem. Yeah. And couldn't tolerate that. He got his ass handed to him by a 14 year old. Yeah. But you take those two things and they always get lumped into police brutality. And yeah. I think those are two examples of where they don't fit the narrative. They don't, they, they yeah. twist, they contort things a little bit. Yeah. Are there things that we can do to fix police brutality? Absolutely. But the prevalent prevailing problem that I see is it comes down to a respect thing. You know, yeah. there, there's nobody respects anybody anymore. Whether we talk respect mm. for each other, whether we talk respect to elders, whether we talk respect to police officers. I know this is something that I've said numerous times on the, on the, the show. If people came to an interaction and treated each other with just a little bit of respect. Yeah. Things would be vastly different, but there's yeah. just, everybody has their own sense of entitlement to how they feel yeah. they should be treated. And some people kind of think they should be treated better than they deserve to be. And other people take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my experience, I, I've stopped people of all races. I've been called all kinds of things. I've been accused of a number of things. That's never. Has been somebody me. ever said you smell like bacon? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure I've heard that a few times. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I've heard that. You said a few times. Oh, so, <laughs> I cut you off. Go ahead. I just wanted to throw that. Did you hear that? You see that a lot of movies. Like, well, I ain't say a lot, but a couple times, like, smell like bacon in this motherfucker. Uh, all, all the insults uh, for 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 a cop, I've I've gotten thrown at me, but you know, it, that's not me. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't phase me. Are there some cops that? don't understand the idea of getting more with, you know, sugar than do vinegar. Yeah. Do are there cops that are assholes? Yeah. But that doesn't make them a bad cop. And I think that that's one of the other problems is they take that outward appearance and just immediately say they're bad. Well, you don't know that for sure. Yeah, I got it. I got it. 
Oh, I got a I got a follow up question for you, but before I get to, I know it's your show, man. I don't want to take over your show. No, it's your um, chat. But, yeah, but um, before I get to the follow up question, um, so I've been trained to never say never, right? As a lawyer, right? So, but I'm going to go close to never. Like I never post stories about any type of policing and shooting and all that. I try not to post until like it gets pretty close to trial and other stuff comes out. I try not to post on social media. Right. Um, because quick story talking about like context and, and stories. So I had a case in New York. It's a fire case. It was a personal injury case. It was uh, actually arson. Um, two people end up dying in the fire. I had one of the survivors as a client and um, I did an interview with the New York Post. It's out there. I saw my social media. You probably Google it, New York Post, and I'm quoted in there. And the New York Post story, like that, it's one, the quote is small, right? <laughs> um, so we had like a whole conversation, only a little bit got into the, to, to the, I can say it, was, it wasn't a long conversation, but maybe 15 minute conversation, only like a few lines got into the actual article. You mean the, 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 the media took your words and didn't put it in the right context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So hold on, don't stay my fire yet. So, 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 um, so they actually, if I can remember correctly, they got my context right. But the story, the actual story, was about what happened and the witness statements and all like what my client said. It was completely false. And this is the New York New York Post is not a good example, but this is like the established media. It was basically ninety percent wrong. Like that's actually not what's happened. Like you can actually get the police report and, and if they actually got the police report and read it, it you like, bruh. And then they never come they never come behind and the correct their story. The I'm like, yo, and so 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 I tell people, you know, people, you know, I've been called names for doing this or whatever. But like, yeah, you gotta get you gotta get more information, man. Like, don't just jump out there with the first so what we have been accustomed to, at least especially in the last ten years. Like everybody wants to be the first to report on something. And it's like the first report is always wrong, always, because they're still investigating. So the first report may come out within a couple hours of the incident, right? It's going to, it's wrong. I could tell you, I've been trained to never say never. And I've always, I can, I've been trained to, to never speak in absolutes, but I'm pretty sure close to 100% of the time, the first report is going to be wrong. Yeah. Just because you don't know. Like, so, me going through like having that real world example of actually having my client, her statement be false, the the actual describing of the incident being false and no retraction. I'm like, man, imagine I'm just a little guy, right? I'm just a little guy in the grand scheme of things. Like imagine how often this happens all day, every day. One of the first guests that I had, actually, I think it was the first guest that I, I had on the show, the first show. Uh, she was a professor of journalism and, okay. and we talked about journalistic integrity and how uh-huh. it just, it just doesn't seem to exist anymore. Gotcha. And, and, you know, the, it's like you pointed then. out, it's, it's a matter of they, they need to be the first to get the story out regardless mm-hmm. of facts. And then regardless of the facts, yeah. once the new facts come out, it's almost as if they didn't say that first thing mm-hmm. and just push the new stuff out. And it's like, well, that completely contradicts what you just said before. Or, exactly. Yeah. You know, and there, there's a, a few news sources. I'll, I'll keep nameless. Um, that just seem to be making that. That's their business model to, to just say whatever yeah. they want to say, regardless of the damage that could it could possibly do. 
um, regardless of how objectively and demonstrably false it is. And they mm -hmm. just push it out there because they know that their viewers are going to eat it up. Yeah. Yeah. So if New York Post, I'm pretty sure it's New York Post. So if the New York Post, I apologize for throwing you under the bus. But, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was y'all. And, um, oh, but then the question I was going to ask you, why do you think New Jersey has the best training for police officers? I can only speak to my experience. Um, my recollection is New Jersey is one of the only states that at least at one point you could go around the country and get a job as a cop. And once they knew you were trained in Jersey, you didn't have to go through their academy. They kind of took the oh. New Jersey standard. Um, yeah. I think New Jersey and California at one point, it could be off on that, could be wrong on that, but I seem to recall that kind of being a thing. Part of the problem, I think, is you know we have a very diverse country. We, we have a very rural, and we have very urban areas. And even in New Jersey, the, the job is very different from town to town. I worked mm -hmm. in a very affluent town. We had four mm -hmm. miles of Route 1. So we have a lot of stuff coming through. Mm -hmm. But we're only a few miles from Trenton. We're only mm -hmm. a few miles from uh, New Brunswick. The more densely populated areas, you're going to have that more higher prevalence of, of crime and, and certain types of crimes. To give an officer every tool that they need to solve or deal with every situation is impossible because it also comes down to the, to the officer. And I think we can do a little better job of, of vetting and holding officers accountable, which clearly mm -hmm. is, a, is, it is a problem. And it, when it happens, it's just like, you know, as a retired cop, that just it drives me nuts when you mm -hmm. hear a cop doing something stupid somebody getting hurt or worse. And then you start looking into that cop's background, like, oh, well, he had use of force issues, he had this issue, he had domestic issues, and they just kind of pushed him around. Mm. Well, no. He shouldn't have been able to be a cop anywhere. So mm -hmm. the question is, is, well, where would the breakdown come down? Did it come down because his former agency just didn't hold him accountable the way they should have? Did he lie to get the new job? Did the other place not do their due diligence to, to look at his background? I, I contribute for a organization called LEAP, which is Law Enforcement Action Partnership. And the whole premise of this organization is to push out reform for law enforcement, whether we talk about the legal end, which is comprised of current and former officers, attorneys, sheriffs, people all, that run a whole gamut of, of law enforcement and criminal justice. And I think until we start really getting people who generally want to fix the problem, we're going to continue to have problems um, uh, but it's, it's how we address it and look at the objective truth and the objective objective facts and take that into coming up with the solutions you know to kind of give you a better answer it's just i just think we are more selective with our officers we're, we're hiring people that are of the right mindset they can you know they're not necessarily in it for the ego that's one thing that i hear a lot about you know, cops, oh, they, they were like the high school jock and they're stupid and they just wanted to be the, the ego yeah. trip. Bully, they was bully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but the people that I worked with, and, and I was very fortunate, I, I worked for a very, very good agency. We were very well trained. We, we had high standards. I, I don't think that other places and other states hold themselves to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, speaking of standards in general, you... I don't think standards are where they used to be for a number of reasons, whether it's because cops are afraid to do things because they're afraid that 
the Monday morning quarterbacks are going to tear him apart, um, mm-hmm. which again creates bigger issues. There, there's there's so many different things coming out towards cops nowadays, and and not, you know other professions as well. But speaking specifically about law enforcement, you know there's there's so many different optics that they have to be concerned with. It takes them away from being able to do their job as effectively as they could or should be able to. And gotcha. until until we have a more uniform way of teaching officers and, and what that way is, I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough. We're going to have these problems until cops are held accountable for when they fuck up. We're going to have problems. You know, there's a big push in recent uh, years about getting rid of qualified immunity. The misunderstanding of what qualified immunity is for officers and wanting to get rid of it to me shows ignorance on the people who want to get rid of it because what qualified immunity really does is if a cop does things by the book, he can't be held liable. When you take that away, if a cop follows everything by the book, they can still be sued. That's what, you know, the, the whole thing of qualified immunity is really about is about protecting the officer as a civilian when they're doing things in the capacity of their job. Capacity of their job. See, I didn't even know that you just educated me on that. Yeah. And it's yeah. to me, it's extremely important because no other job can they kind of come after you as hard civilly for you doing your job. Yeah. And you have people who just really don't understand what what it is, and they're like, oh, they, that's just the way cops get away get away with stuff. Well, no, because I haven't really seen any incidences where a cop really screwed up uh-huh. and were protected, so to speak, by qualified immunity. Were they protected yeah. by other means? Sure. Absolutely. But yeah, not yeah. by the qualified immunity clause. Not about it, yeah. And if you take away that, you're not going to have anybody that wants to be a cop anymore because they're, yeah. they're, they know that their ass is on the line, even if they follow the book. They follow the rules. Yeah. You know, I've had people come, come and complain about me and, and my conduct as an officer. If I didn't have qualified immunity, you know, things could have went sideways for me personally, you know, financially yeah. and otherwise. So I think in a general speaking sense, People just need to kind of own it back in and, and start dealing with objective yeah. truth. And, and perspective is a big thing. Yeah. Everybody's perspective is different based on yeah. their background things. But, you know, be a little slower to react, I think, some on some things. You don't have to, act, you don't have to act immediately. Yeah. That knee-jerk reaction is usually the bad one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, police officers are... <laughs> Similar to attorneys in, in one way. This is the only profession I can think of that people either like really don't care or, or hate until you need them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can't think of any other. I'm sure there's other professions out there like that, but like, you know, you have this visceral hate for police officers, lawyers, or you just like, you know, they're just there, right? Well, you lawyers have always have the yeah. the the per- perception that they're scumbags, and yeah. not all attorneys are scumbags. Mm-hmm. Are some attorneys yeah. scumbags? Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. the vast majority of the ones that I know that I'm personally friends with, yeah. present company included, yeah. you know, some of the nicest people, most educated people, most intelligent people that I know. Yeah, yeah. Most man, and the thing about guys, going back to what I said before, is like. Like, obviously, like I said, it's good, bad attorneys everywhere, right? Just like it's good, bad cops everywhere. Um, but it's most of most people are just regular people, right? They're doing their job. Mm-hmm. And you got to think, like, you know, 
Like the attorney that you hate is working for somebody. Yeah. Right. So nobody looks at like just say like, you know, like there's there's all these uh class action suits, like whether it's mesothelioma or whatever, like, you know, like they're suing <laughs> like like, you know, somebody represented the that company that caused the problems. And those are the attorneys that looked at that. It's like, but everybody in every organization has the right to legal counsel, right? Like, like when you see like people like, so when I was doing the prisoners rights work, people like, how can you represent? But it's part, part of the reason why I left. One, it wasn't enough money, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> money comes into play when them, them school loans start kicking in. But people like, so I, you know, I, our other division was the criminal division. They were on the other side of town, but that's part of the whole, under the umbrella of the organization. And in DC, the DC public defender service, they take the, they take pride in and they take the hardest cases within DC metro area. DC, well, it's not DC metro, within DC. Like again, the, the prosecutors are funded by the federal government. So the defense attorney has to have the same access to funding, at least when I was there by statute, by law. And that's unlike any other uh, public defenders that I know of in, in the country, right? So we had all the access to the training, all that type of stuff that they get, right? So people would ask, like, why? So another, so one of the questions is, like, how can you defend such and such if you're doing criminal work, right? right. You hear that civilly, too. Like, how can you defend a quote-unquote murderer? It's like, one, and this is part of being objective, right? <laughs> Regardless of whether they did it or not, they have the right to, it's on the state to prove their case. Right. So and a lot of times it's hard for people to get out of that notion that it's on the state to prove it, that this person is guilty. Like, no, you're not guilty until the state finds you guilty. And it's on them to prove that you are guilty. The that lawyer's is- job is to poke holes into the state's case. Well, you know, you, you've been in the police, you know, the courtroom. So it's not on, and, 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 and Honestly, it's harder to poke harder in it, depending on the income and the facts. It's harder to poke holes in the state case if they're really on top of their investigation. With the right. police officers, they got the report. It's really hard to poke. So the, the onus is on them, and it's it's for that, it's, it's that way for a reason. You don't want to have to be in a position where you're proving you, you have to prove yourself innocent. Right. But that's, like, that seems to be the, the thought process immediately now. We. We are supposed to be the land of innocent until proven guilty, but nowadays you're guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And even when you are proven innocent, it's like, well, uh, were they really innocent? You know, yeah, yeah, was yeah. This, was yeah. this really the way things should have gone? Yeah. So innocent, not innocent. I say not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. So <laughs> you're, you're either guilty or, or not guilty. Like we don't Yeah. You know, we don't say you're innocent, right? Because you could be guilty of something, be just guilty, not be found guilty. Not be found guilty, yeah. So... Um, and then you realize, like, also that what people don't understand is, like, like, like how, one, I don't think you want to be a nation of people being actually guilty into proving not guilty. I don't I don't think we want to go that way, right? right? I agree. <laughs> um, yeah. It just seems and to be also, the, uh, what we hear from a lot of people is yeah. they don't believe things. They believe the immediacy of the story, which, like you said, so, is usually wrong. Well, yeah. And, you know, the facts come out, and they still are a little hesitant to agree with whatever the decision was. Yeah. Also, another thing people don't realize is that the vast majority, I'm going to say in criminal cases, the last time I checked, it was like 97% don't go to trial anyway. Right. Like either plea or stone out. 
right? So the, you're talking about 3% of the cases right? <laughs> anyway, right? Well, TV it's makes actually, it look like every case goes in. Everything's and, going to trial. Like, yeah, like right. it's like, no, that's not actually happening. And it's just one of those things where, like, you know, coming back to the facts. And I love facts. I love being objective because we all got our perspective, right? Yeah. We all got our, uh, um, but can we get to something that, all right, this is what it says. And I see this on social media all the time. That's why I stopped going back and forth. One, it's not, it's not funny anymore, and I got to protect my mental health. Um, but going back and forth with people is like... Exhausting. I, I, wrote, I, I posted this recently. I don't know if you commented or liked it or not. I said, uh, everybody has an opinion, but opinions are not facts. Like You don't have your own facts. And just because everybody has their right to opinions and all opinions shouldn't be valued equally, first of all. Right. And just because you are allowed and uh, obnoxious or aggressive with your opinion does not change the fact that it's just an opinion. <laughs> I commented on that with the line that I paraphrased from the one Alex Jones judge where yeah. she said, just because you believe it doesn't yeah, mean I true. I think I like that. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Just because you believe it. Yeah. Like, so it's, and I, I do believe uh, I can't prove this scientifically because I'm sure there's research out there, but I do think that people are confusing, confusing their Opinion with facts. Absolutely. Especially nowadays. Especially nowadays. Yeah. And it's I like, yo, agree with that. Yeah. And like I said, I'm sure there's some research and I'm probably going to do some research on it just because I'm a nerd like that. So I know, like, I'm sure there's some scientific research on it, but I'm pretty sure that's happening more often than we probably realize. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely one of the social problems that we have. Yeah. Um, we've, been going at it for a little over an hour, and I'm sure I could. Damn, do this. man, it hasn't seen it. I, could, long, I man. could do this with yeah. you for like yeah. five more. So we got to do another show. Where you got to bring me back. Let me know the people want me back. Um, but go ahead. I know you got some 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 ending questions that you want to ask me. Let's go. Well, I'm gonna do things a little different with you. Usually, I do okay. the uh, the what would you rather questions. Okay. I'm gonna do something from a game called debatable. And okay. We're each gonna take a side, and very briefly. Argue our side, so to speak. I'm going to have fun with an attorney. See how good of an attorney gotcha. I would be. Gotcha. So the first question is, and I'll let you pick which side you want. You can argue for being the start of the party or sleeping till noon. The start of the party? The star of the party or sleeping till noon? Starting the party, not star of. Oh, starting the party. Starting the party or starting sleeping party. till noon. I am going to go with starting the party. Okay. Um, and mostly from my perspective, as we just, because <laughs> I, I generally get up between uh, four thirty and five o'clock a.m. So I can't imagine sleeping to noon. I don't know when the last time I slept at noon. So this is—I don't know if this is at this part the point of the game, <laughs> but I only can sleep. I can't imagine sleeping to noon. I just can't imagine. Any reason why you can't imagine? Because I the last I don't I don't remember the last time I slept the. To, to noon, man. So uh, I'm going to take the uh, sleep is a new thing. Yeah. It's good yeah. to get sleep. And especially if you're yeah. out partying and you're staying up yeah. late, you're going to want to stay, stay in bed until a little later. Yeah, yeah. See, starting the party, what, I was, what, else, what else I'm going to drop with is, because you can start the party. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to end the party. Yeah, you start it. You can bounce out early. Bounce out early, yeah. I'll, I'll give you the win on that one. <laughs> uh, caring for plants is the topic. Yeah. The options are a relaxing pastime or negligent homicide. <laughs> I'm going to take the negligent homicide. You're gonna, so you're going to give me a passionate pastime? A relaxing pastime. 
relaxing pastime. So um, for, for, for me, it's negligent homicide when you deliberately not care for them because you just figure, oh, okay. I didn't water it yesterday, I'll get it tomorrow, and then the plant dies, and now it's negligent homicide, yeah. correct? As the attorney, would that, would that fall under negligent homicide? Um, Yeah. If you're not, you're neglecting something that needs to be alive, yeah, you're going to get charged with some, uh, um, I think states call it different things. It's going to be not homicide, but manslaughter. Yeah, but we're talking about a plant. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you. So what, what what's the terminology? How, how do you're I using a relaxing it? pastime. Relaxing pastime. I'm going to say it's a relaxing pastime because if you're really into it, apparently, like if you talk to your plants, like they react heard that and if you water them regularly and um, you talk to them so maybe that can be like if you are, are are relaxing at home and you just you don't have anybody else to talk to you talk to your plant and it might blossom up or something like that so a stress reliever there you go yeah we'll call that one a draw draw gotcha and for the last one how are shirts supposed to be buttoned up from the top down or from the bottom up uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to say, uh, top down. I'm going to, let me take top down. Now you take top down cause that's the easy, that's easy for me. <laughs> so I'm going to go bottom up. So you go first. Cause I can, I can easy. All right. So for, uh, for bottom up. Yeah. No, you do. I'm doing top down. You you, I'm doing top you down. You want to do top down? Yeah. So top down, it's just, you know, it's where you start. Your hands are up here. You, you put the shirt on your hands are already up top. Start at the top mm-hmm. button, start working way down. Kind of just simple ergonomics and efficiency of body mechanics. We'll go with. Got you. So that's what I was going to, I was going to say something similar. That's why I said, let me take the bottom up just to challenge myself on this thing. Um, so I'm going to go with bottom up because I think if you get to, so we're going to do, you know, time is our most valuable asset, right? Um, although whether you realize, people realize that or not, once the time is gone. So those split seconds, so if you're going from the bottom up, when you get to like the button where it's really getting tight on your belly button, you don't have to worry about, it's less buttons from from the bottom to that 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 belly joint. And you be like, you know what? This thing is going too tight. It's not going to work. You just take it off and go get another shirt. Versus be going top down. It's going to take you two or three more buttons to get to that point where it could be an issue. Fair enough. So you're, you're concerned about the 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 girth of your uh, gut to. Yeah, as the person, you know, we didn't talk about it, but we're gonna talk about it because you got I got to schedule my uh my consultation with you. You got to give me a fee. We talked about so what I'm doing now is trying to lose the stomach, man, and I that's so that so I got you. So for for you know being vulnerable right now, I know we got to go like that determines like if I'm gonna wear a shirt or not, like how how much my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> G man, it's been awesome. Uh, You're awesome, man. If people needed to contact you for business related law work, how would they get a hold of you? So I'm all on all social medias. I have no burner accounts like Kevin Durant or anything like that. So everything is Detravius. That's D E T R A V I U S. The fear B E T H E A. You can Google me. Uh, that's my name on all social media. Um, I don't have any burner accounts, but I'm sending people now to my official website. My personal website is the Bethea. So it's T H E. B-E-T-H-E-A.com. So www. Do people still say that before that? www.com. Kind of given, but uh, some people feel <laughs> I sometimes catch myself having to say it too. So Yeah, so it's W-T-H-E-B-E-T-H-E-A.com. And I updated. So over the last month, we, we talked about business. We talked about because we got to handle the business on some other stuff. 
So what I've been doing is I've been, uh, for the last month or so, I've been updating it every day. I mean, that's just been part of my routine to grow business. We talked about something else <laughs> to grow business and just to really just, to, that's just an easy thing to send people to. Yeah. Um, it was, it was stagnated or failed or it wasn't updated for a while or over a year, but like the last month or so I've been updating every day. So that's where people can find me, man. Got it. I'll make sure that goes in the notes. Uh, yeah. it'll be awesome. I gotta have you on again. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time out. We finally got it done. Everybody. Peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show by our Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.